Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we begin a new sermon series, The Love Languages of God. What language is spoken in heaven? What is the language of God and are we fluent in that language? Join us for the message, Loving Through Prayer. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church of Duncanville, Texas on this rainy Sunday morning. We have a few less in the sanctuary than we normally do, but I'm thinking we probably have more online than we normally do as well. Have you ever wondered what language is spoken in heaven? And so what is the language of God and are we fluent in that language? We'll be talking about that later during our message, Loving Through Prayer. Also want you to invite you to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or through mailing a check to the church. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Now listen to the word of God. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, No one dared to ask him any question. And now from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 10 and 13. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not fear. I will help you. This is the word of God for the people of God. I love having this monitor up here because if you have OCD tendencies like me, I can see whether or not my stole is on correctly or not, and it's straight. <laughs> that's, that's why it's there, obviously. Now, over the years, I've shared many parts of my personal story, including my experiences in my home church in Denton. I was a very active member there for 13 years before going into professional ministry, And for a long time, I more or less functioned as unpaid staff there. 
Well, as I've shared in the past, at one point the SPRC there decided to create the position of director of adult education, and the senior pastor invited me to apply. Now, when word got out that I was up for this job, a group of members there at the church organized to prevent my hire for the express reason that I was gay. They didn't even try to hide that that was the reason. They were very open about it. They said they liked me, they appreciated the work that I did for the church, and that it wasn't personal at all, and they had no trouble with me functioning as unpaid staff, but to actually pay me for my work and to officially bring me on church staff would, in their eyes, quote, send the wrong message. Well, this entire situation played out over a seven-month period, and it was the most significant conflict that that church faced, at least in the 13 years that I was there. Now, this church definitely leans on the progressive side, and the vast majority of the congregation didn't have any problem with me being hired. But it's a big church, and there's people there from across the theological spectrum, including many what we now call traditionalists, who were unfortunately, eventually successful in their endeavor to prevent my hire. Well, over those seven months, as you might imagine, I experienced a roller coaster of emotion, including heaps and bounds of sadness and depression, as well as a whole lot of anger. I might add that I also got to experience rotator cuff surgery and physical therapy during this time also, which just made it all the better. Um, I was on antidepressants and seeing a therapist, and these things helped a lot. But one of the most amazing of graces that I received during that time were all of the cards and letters and words of encouragement that I received from, from countless people in that congregation. And I tell you, hardly a Sunday went by without someone pulling me aside in the hallway and expressing their support for me or telling me how angry they were at how I was being treated. That was 2009, and I have kept all of those cards and letters. Because for quite a long time, those cards and letters were like oxygen to me. They kept my head above the water of despair, and they kept me breathing. They were a lifeline. Now, I do think that anyone in my position would have found the supportive cards and letters very meaningful and helpful, but they were especially important to me because words of encouragement are my love language. For me and others like me, we never feel more loved and valued than when we receive what are called words of encouragement, that is, expressions of support, uh, written notes, affectionate words. And there's nothing better for people like me than a really good compliment. In that way, I'm like Mark Twain who wrote, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Well, a few months ago after a board meeting, the campus minister at the Wesley Foundation at UNT, she told me that the college kids think I'm cool. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> I tell you, I floated on that compliment for weeks. Uh, it got to the point where I was so frequently mentioning to my friends how cool I was that they just started to roll their eyes and say, yes, Jane, you're very cool. <laughs> now, many of you may be familiar with or at least have heard of the five love languages. In 1992, counselor Gary Chapman wrote a best-selling book 
The five love languages, the secret to love that last. And it's sold something like 20 million copies, and it's actually been translated in, into 50 actual languages now. And the premise of the book is that different actions make different individuals feel the most loved and valued. For example, for me, it's what Chapman calls words of encouragement, that is, verbal expressions of love and appreciation. But for others, their love language might be quality time. They feel most loved and valued when someone spends significant amount of time with them, just giving them their undivided attention. What they really want is for their spouse to put down their phone and spend some time with them. Maybe lingering over a meal, just talking, or maybe getting up off the couch and going for a walk together. For still others, their love language is receiving gifts. Nothing makes them feel more loved than a gift from a loved one. And it doesn't have to be big or expensive. Even, even small gifts will set these people's hearts aflutter. For some, their love language is acts of service. So you want to send a message of love to this person? Wash the dishes. Take the car and go get the tires rotated. Uh, cook a meal. Paint that room you keep saying that you're going to paint. Or take care of them when they're sick or injured. And the fifth love language is physical touch. What these people crave most is, is an arm around the shoulder, cuddling on the couch, a hug, or even just a light touch as you walk across the room. Now, most of us like receiving from all five of these love languages, but there'll be a primary love language that makes an individual person feel the most loved and valued. As I said, my primary love language is words of encouragement, but that doesn't mean that I don't also enjoy receiving gifts or a hug, but it's these verbal expressions that will generally mean the most to me. Though I do think sometimes people can get confused. Just yesterday, I read this anecdote in the latest issue of Reader's Digest. This woman sent in, my love language is cooking elaborate meals, screaming at everyone to get out of the kitchen, then loudly announcing the food was not my best while waiting for compliments. <laughs> now, you may have noticed, if you're paying attention, that I've changed the title of this sermon series just from last week. Last week, I was saying the new sermon series was going to be called How to Love God, and I've since now changed it to the love languages of God. But my purpose for the sermon has not changed. My purpose is still for us to explore our relationship with God through the lens of the vows that we make when we are confirmed or when we join the church. Now, in the United Methodist Church, we baptize people of all ages, including infants and children who cannot speak for themselves. But we still think it is vitally important, however, for a person to make a public confession of faith once they're old enough to decide for themselves whether or not they want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we call this right confirmation. Now, as part of confirmation, people who are making this public statement, uh, of, uh, this public profession of faith, also take a number of solemn vows. And this includes the following. As a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? So these five things, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. These are all ways that we express our love and our faithfulness to the church. But there are also ways that we express our love and faithfulness to God 
Each of these five play a vital role in our ongoing relationship with God, and each is a path for deepening our relationship. Now, just a little bit earlier, uh, Norma read about this encounter between Jesus and one of the scribes. And so the scribe had asked Jesus, what commandment is first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what Jesus was essentially saying to the scribe is that we are to love God with everything that we have. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Then Jesus goes on to say that we should love others just as much as we love ourselves. So love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self. And by the way, that's the right order. God, others, and self. But these three loves, nevertheless, they're inseparable. There's a large variety of ways we can approach this love of God. And so what we'll be doing again over this next five weeks is looking at those United Methodist vows of membership and explore how they relate to the love of God and the love of neighbor and the love of self. But last Tuesday, as I've told a few of you, I literally, Tuesday night, woke up in bed and I just had this sudden insight. The five vows of membership correlate to the five love languages. So if we're going to explore how to love God, it might also then be helpful to look at the five love languages as well. And if the five love languages can help us better love and re- or to better love and receive love from others, then they may also help us to love and receive love from God. And so that was at the point I changed the sermon series title to Love Languages of God. So over the next five Sundays, we're going to explore each of these vows one by one along with its corresponding love language. And so the first vow that we make is to support the church through our prayers. And prayer, of course, is is really in many ways the primary way that we love God. And it corresponds to the love language known as words of encouragement. It's love that is given and received through, through the medium of words. Now in prayer, we relate to God through our words But God has also used words to relate to us. And the scriptures are filled with the words of God. Now, I might add whole libraries could be crammed with countless volumes about exactly how we're to understand the Bible to be the word of God. And almost all conflicts in church history can be traced back to, at least in part, how we understand scripture to be the word of God and therefore how we interpret it. In fact, it's, it's one of the major factors in the current uh, splitting of the United Methodist Church. But there is one thing that I think practically all Christians can agree on. When you come to the Bible, when you read this book, and when you wrestle with its words, you will meet God there. Scripture is holy ground where we encounter a living God who is ultimately beyond words. But it's through these words of the Bible that we will hear the voice of God, sometimes whispering, sometimes shouting at us, but always communicating words of love. Just consider what we read earlier from Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And that's God 
loving us through words of encouragement, words of love. Or consider these words from from Jeremiah. See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. And with consolations, I will lead them back. And I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Or consider these words of Jesus on the last night that he spent with his disciples and who were also his friends. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And just as God loves us through these words of love and encouragement, we can love God in return through our words, all the words of our prayers, but especially, I think, words of praise and thanksgiving. Now, I've been encouraging y'all for now for several weeks to thank God for at least three things every day. And this is for good reason. As many of you are aware, there, there are numerous scientific studies that will tell us about the benefits of both prayer and meditation, but especially prayers of gratitude. Prayers, that is those who pray, they enjoy better physical health, they have better surgical outcomes, they report more satisfaction in their personal relationships, they experience lower rates of depression and anxiety than non-prayers. And one doctor wrote that if prayer was a drug, it would be considered a wonder drug because of all the wide benefits that it affords. So giving thanks expresses our love for God, but I think it's also a way of self-love because science tells us it's good for us. And just as as God can love us through the words of Scripture, so also we can love God through words by our regular Scripture reading. There's a method of prayer, some of you may be familiar with it, it's called Lectio Divina, and it's a way that we can pray through the words of Scripture, and it's a method of prayer that I hope to share with you sometime in the next few weeks during the sermon series. But we can also love God through other types of reading as well, such as the reading of, say, books or articles about spirituality or theology. And if we can love God through the words that we read, then we can also love God through the words that we write. I often will write, not today, but I often write the prayers and the liturgy that we use in worship. And I find this very meaningful. And I I occasionally journal, but I do know for some people, journaling is their most enriching spiritual practice. And I think we should also think of the singing of hymns as a way of loving God through words. In this case, words that are set to music. As St. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. And just think about that opening hymn, that last verse of the opening hymn that we just sang as we praised God. For thyself, best gift divine, to the world so freely given, for that great, great love of thine, peace on earth and joy in heaven, Lord of all to thee we raise. This our hymn of grateful praise. Now, of course, loving others is also a way that we love God. 
And we love God well by offering words of encouragement, that is words of hope and words of healing and words of life to the others in our lives. And as I was was writing this sermon, I was just, I was thinking back to all of these life-giving words that have been given to me through the years, not only from those people there at my church in Denton, but words that were given to me decades ago by my parents or by teachers that were so meaningful to me that they have stayed with me up until this time. And we should also remember to give words of love and encouragement to ourselves. Now, all of us from time to time will say hurtful things to ourselves in our mind. And I know that some of you make negative self-talk a regular habit. But spending time in prayer is a way of loving yourself. Because think about it, just as we have emotional needs, we have, we have spiritual needs. And just like those emotional needs, if our spiritual needs aren't met, there's going to be consequences. We human beings can go a while without having our needs being met, but if, but if we go too long, eventually we're going to break down. So in the end, love of God, love of neighbor, love of ourselves, they're all linked together. And loving God through prayer, loving others through our words of encouragement, and loving ourselves through interior words of kindness, this becomes kind of a, a positive feedback loop each builds on the other until we're experiencing more love and intimacy than we ever thought was possible. So those five vows, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. These all flow from the interior of a disciple outward towards other. We begin in the stillness of prayer and we flow into the proclamation of witness where we represent and communicate the, this encouraging good news that we have about God's love in Jesus Christ. And we proclaim that to a hurting world that is in desperate need of hearing those particular words of encouragement. So, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. But it all begins with prayer. Amen. When we talk about loving God with our words... Part of that also is is listening to God's words, as we talked about in the sermon. So I would like for everyone here in the sanctuary, all of those who are worshiping at home, just to get yourself comfortable and maybe even close your eyes. And then I want you to hear these words that God has spoken to us through the prophet Jeremiah and really feel that God is talking to you. And I know these words have been very important to me as I have gone forward. So here is a word from the Lord. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Those were God's words to the ancient Israelites, and they are God's words to us. And I can tell you, during the time of my exile, after I had to leave my church at Denton and didn't know where I was going and didn't know if I would ever be able to be ordained, that first church I was appointed to, Oak Haven. I turned on the, the, the desk computer that was right there, and if 
The screensaver wasn't this verse from Jeremiah. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. And that really meant a lot to me. And to have it just there pop up, the first church I was appointed to, there on the computer screen, was just a blessing. So just remember that these wonderful words that God has given us. And so let us now love God with our words, the words that we have been taught by our Lord to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, The Loved Languages of God. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.